Father, I thank you for your word, and it is a privilege to study your word, and a book that I don't think most of us are that familiar with. I pray that you would speak to us through uh, the truths of this chapter and this book. In your name, amen. Well, some reporters were interviewing a woman at 104 years old, and uh, they said to her, what's the best thing about being 104? And she said, well, there's no peer pressure, that's for sure. (laughs) And then another lady a bit younger than her said, I feel like my body's gotten totally out of shape, so I went to my doctor and got permission to join a club and start exercise routine. So I decided to do an aerobics class, and I bent and I twisted and I jumped up and down and I perspired for an hour, and by the time I got my workout clothes on, the class was over. So, <laughs> that happens too. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's quite obvious that uh, what we studied last week in Second John is very similar to what we're studying this week in Third John. Though very short in length, this letter has such importance because we see the challenges that went going on in the early church, and they're very similar to things we face today as well. Both of these letters, 2nd and 3rd John, were written to individual people. Last week we saw it was to a woman and her children. And this letter is written uh, to a man named Gaius. Both of these letters deal with a similar problem, that of hospitality for itinerant teachers or missionaries. And both letters speak about having truth and love. And both letters end in a similar way. I have a lot more to say, but I'm going to wait till I actually come face to face. So what makes 3 John unique is that it is the positive counterpart to the negative things that John addressed as we saw last week. The emphasis seen in this letter is that we need to give love and help to all uh, true teachers and workers of the word of God. And we must understand the limits as well as the responsibilities of being hospitable to people. John was really writing a commendation to Gaius. However, there was a problem, as you know from your study, due to a particular leader in the church named Diotrephes. If I mix up Demetrius and Diotrephes, you understand. Anyways, he refused to show hospitality to Christian missionaries that John had sent to this church and even kicked people out of the church who didn't do what he said. So there are many lessons to learn from this little book, and we'll see the importance of showing hospitality to Christian workers who may be strangers to us, yet we are to treat them with love and help them as much as we are able to. And this letter also deals with the problem of spiritual pride, the root of Diotrephes' problem, who loved to be first. Loved trying to control people. Loved being the person in charge. I don't know. Does that sound like anyone you know? Yourself, perhaps? (laughs) But what a contrast from Gaius to diatrophy. So again, I'm grateful for my husband's library and notes and helping me prepare. I can't say that next week with Joshua. (laughs) On my own. So important truths in this letter. As you see the beginning, it says the elder is how it starts out like last time, identifying himself right at the start. Clearly John was known as the elder as he was an aged man by this time. And he was the one who had authority uh, from the Lord as the Apostle John. And everyone understood that he was the elder, not an elder. He was the elder with apostolic authority. I guess everyone but Demetri. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> uh, yes. Anyways, the letter was sent to Gaius. We read the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. 
Gaius was a man dearly loved by John. He loved him as a fellow believer in Jesus who had been faithful to the word. Gaius was such a common name in the ancient world of Rome, so we don't really know which Gaius this is, as you did in your questions you saw. Whether there's one in Corinth that Paul had baptized, there's another mentioned in Acts 19, who traveled with Paul when they were attacked at the riot in Ephesus. Then there's another Gaius in Acts 20 from Derby who traveled with Paul. Or this could be just another Gaius that wasn't in any of those. So it's, a, it's such a common name. But what we learn about him is the fact that he had tremendous character, living his life consistent with the truth of God. And he opened his home to traveling teachers and missionaries. He refused to be intimidated by diatrophies. So it goes on in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So he begins with a prayer for his dear friend that he would prosper and be in good health. The word prosper doesn't always mean financial success, but it seems here John is praying for Gaius to have his business ventures to go well and to succeed. And he also prays for him to be in good health. Now this is not an endorsement for the health and wealth false gospel being propagated today. The context of this verse is that Gaius <clears throat> had proven himself to be very hospitable to traveling Christian leaders and he had supplied the physical needs of missionaries and he had also they had stayed in his home. And if he doesn't have financial resources or if his health fails, he won't be able to do these same ministries for missionaries. One author put it this way, John would not want to send his missionaries to a sick man's home and burden a sick man with lodging them and outfitting them for the next stage of their journey. So in praying for fellow believers, it certainly seems valid to pray for God to bless them financially and physically as it relates to their usefulness to the Lord and his work. It isn't a prayer for more money so Gaius could take a nice vacation or spend money on himself, but rather a prayer motiva motivated by God being glorified in the answer. John goes on to say, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So John knew the soul of Gaius was already prospering spiritually, and he wanted his circumstance and his health to match that of his soul's. John knew Gaius was growing spiritually, walking by faith in his Lord. And so what did that look like? Well, look at verse 3. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. Clearly, John had heard wonderful reports about Gaius and his spiritual life. Likely, this was from the individuals who had experienced his kind hospitality to them. And they then told John about their time with Gaius. He lived out his daily life directed by the truth of God's word. <clears throat> and I think the key takeaway here is that when we are godly, it means that we're living our lives dominated by scripture and obeying what we're told to do. One author said this, Gaius lived the truth in such an open way that he was observed by others who in turn reported the uprightness of his conduct and character to John. So we are to adorn the doctrine of God, which means we are to live out the truth of Scripture. Not only does this please the Lord, but it gives great joy to those who are your spiritual leaders and those in the positions of authority who are trying to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. 
It could be that John led Gaius to to the Lord himself. We don't know. But what gave great joy to John was that Gaius was walking in obedience to God's word. The joy was in the obedience of this man. And for a church leader, truly, there is no greater joy than seeing people follow the Lord and stay true to him. I mentioned this last week. Church leaders' focus should not be on their joy coming from the budget of their church being met or multiple new people joining the church, that really the joy is in the word of God being taught, people hearing it, believing it, understanding it, and then actually, you know, applying it to their everyday life. That's what brings the greatest joy. So what a great example Gaius is to us. Like him, we should be known for our living out biblical truth daily. We should be known for warm hospitality and a determination to stand for truth even when others oppose you. You know how greatly he opposed he was in this church situation. And John wanted Gaius to continue to have that financial and physical blessing from God so he could continue the ministry that he was doing of hospitality. As one teacher said about Gaius, not everyone can be in the front line, but every man, by supporting those who are in the front line, can make himself an ally with the truth. So Gaius then is commended for his hospitality. In verse 5, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. Sorry. Again, Gaius is referred to as Beloved, and he's commended for acting so faithfully. Gaius had entertained many missionaries in his home. He took care of their immediate needs, He fed them, he provided shelter and safety, and he gave money for them to meet their needs. He did all of this to complete strangers that he did not know, but these were people who had been sent by the Apostle John. The traveling workers had then reported back to their home church about Gaius and all he had done for them. He loved fellow believers, he loved Christian workers, he loved demonstrating that love by meeting their physical needs. And, you know, in reality, hospitality, as you well know, is not optional for some Christians to do. It is every believer's responsibility. It isn't based on your home being in perfect condition to entertain. You can't have, like, wait for ten projects to be done, and then I'll have somebody. The Old Testament and the New Testament has so much to say about hospitality. And God says every believer is obligated to show hospitality, which, you know, literally means a love of strangers. Now today, clearly, there isn't the same problems of the ancient world where the only inns available were typically dangerous, immoral, and unclean. However, hospitality is not limited to cultural issues. Rather, it's a way to express love for individuals that you don't know. And it can be with traveling missionaries in need or a Christian in need or just when you go to your local church and you see new people or people that don't know anybody, they're strangers to you. Be hospitable. Romans 12.3 tells us we're to practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9 tells us we're to be hospital without complaint. Oh, there is the rub. <clears throat> I'll do it, but this is killing me. Um, and then Hebrews 13.2 reminds us some entertains angels and not even knowing it. And, of course, it's a qualification for spiritual leaders in the church to be hospitable. So even though today we may have nice hotels available <clears throat> and we may have the funds to put somebody in a hotel if that's preferable to them, we are still to care for the needs of missionaries, opening our homes to them to supply with them uh, the resources that we have. 
What can be challenging for many is that it takes us out of our comfort zone because it requires we give up time and energy to serve complete strangers. Gaius took incredible missionaries sent by John, and that would be true today if you are part of a local church that supports missionaries who would clearly be on the same page as your church and your church leaders, and they're coming in town and they need a place to stay. And even if you feel like you are shy or socially awkward and having to make conversation with total strangers, you are nonetheless commanded by God to love God's people and show hospitality regardless of whatever type of personality you have. Some excuse this away, this responsibility, by thinking my house is too small, my finances are so limited, but even a small, comfortable, clean place with a simple, inexpensive meal is a way for you to obey the Lord. So we need to stop making excuses about being hospitable and embrace the old Nike slang saying, just do it. How often refusing to have people over, as you well know, is nothing but an issue of pride. What will they think of me if everything isn't just how I envision it to be, should be? Or there's the misconception that all of your precious things in your home that you've collected through the years could be endangered if these people have children. Well, I remind you that every good and perfect gift we have, including our homes and everything in them, is a gift from the Lord. I love the old admonition from Corey Ten Boon, survivor of the Holocaust who hid Jews, as you know, in Holland. But she said, learn to hold things loosely so that God doesn't have to pry your fingers apart should he choose to take it. Now, reasons why showing hospitality is critical, and we see in verse 6, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So John is instructing Gaius that not only is hospitality to these missionaries so important when they arrive at your home, but one is to include providing what they may need for the next part of their journey. Send them on their way, notice, in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name. They're doing this for me. In other words, treat these missionaries as you would treat God because they are his servants and they're representing him. Matthew ten forty, Jesus said, He who receives, me, receives you receives me, and who, re, who receives me receives him who sent me. So these truths ought to greatly impact how we think and change our thinking about missionaries, perhaps missions, Christian workers, how much do you give towards their needs? When you hear of a need, do you look at into the garage at your old discards to meet those needs? I grew up in the era um, where there was the missionary barrel. So churches would have a missionary barrel. And they'd pr- throw stuff in there, you know, to ship off to the missionary. And I remember reading, I couldn't find my resource, but I remember years ago reading of the things that missionaries got on the field. Can you imagine the excitement of a package coming from the States? In it were things like the end of the bars of soap when they got tiny. Yeah, tea bags that weren't greatly used. Crummy, ugly clothes. It's stunning, but that's, that's reality. We ought to give them the very best and treat them as you would treat Jesus. Another reason John gives to show hospitality is in verse 7. For they went out for the, na- for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, nothing from unbelievers is the point. The truth is missionaries do not have anyone else to support them but fellow believers in local churches. 
They don't turn to the unbelieving world for support. They don't go on Facebook and and get a GoFundMe page. I'm going to the mission field for the next four years. (laughs) The burden of support falls on fellow believers in the local churches. John is, is not saying it's wrong for a missionary to accept uh, any support from an unbeliever. So many times I've known of believers who are going to the mission field whose unsaved family members have no idea what the world they're doing, but they'll give some money, as long as they understand that this doesn't earn any favor with God. John is saying that these missionaries did not seek support from unbelievers. They don't ask the world to fund their ministry. To do so would create all kinds of problems that would cause questions of one's integrity as well. They can't put themselves at risk of being thought of by unbelievers as doing this for the money. It is God's people that should finance missions. Like what John Stott said, there are many good causes which Christians may support, but they must support their brethren to whom the world should not be asked to contribute. So who do you give your money to? I encourage you to make sure that your priorities are God's priorities. His work must be priority. Another reason John gives for showing hospitality is seen in verse 8. Supporting missionaries makes us fellow workers with them in the truth. And that's really quite thrilling, actually. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. As we are involved in supporting those who are serving the Lord, we're actually a co-worker with them in the work of the gospel ministry. You, you may never travel to a foreign land, but you make that possible from the home front for those who are called to go, and then that makes you a partner in their ministry. Our takeaway then from these verses is the importance of showing hospitality. This isn't the, one of those things where it's optional. It is a command, ladies. And I realize seasons of life make it more challenging. But you can still get creative in how you can be hospitable. It's especially true um, with the needs of missionaries uh, coming through and needing a place to stay and or needing particular things on the field that we can do to help take care of them. They don't get support from the world. It's our opportunity to share in the work with them. And then now that brings us to the next aspect of this brief letter of John as he deals with this sin of pride. Nothing new and causes all kinds of problems. So we meet the opposition in the small church named Diotrephes. John turns his attention to the problem of this leader where Gaius attended. Diotrephes refused to receive instruction from the Apostle John, uh, which was to show hospitality to itinerant Bible teachers or missionaries that came through. But it goes way beyond that. He actually excommunicated anybody else who didn't do what he said. God has chosen to put, his, uh, put this in his word so that we would learn from this incident. And it's a warning to us individually as well as collectively as a church. This is a dangerous thing to let sinful pride control a person, us or anybody else. But not only did this man love to be first, he wanted to control people. His attitude toward the Apostle John was that nobody's going to tell him what to do. I don't care what kind of authority you have. (laughs) I'm not listening. How many people have that attitude? His attitude toward the Apostle John was that nobody's going to tell him what to do. And the same sinful behavior, I think, rears its ugly head in families and in church families alike. Sadly, the spirit of men like Diotrephes lives on today. Sometimes it lives on in you and in me. 
and in local churches. And that's why we need biblical instruction to know how to deal with this sin. It is just not to be ignored just because that individual is a leader. So what do we do when we see this type of behavior going on in a church? What do we do when we see it going on in our own heart? We read, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. So this is our introduction to Diotrephes, and we see clearly what the problem with him is. John had sent a letter to him. He refused to accept the letter, and pretty stunning that uh, this letter from the Apostle John, the last living apostle, would be ignored, disregarded, or maybe even destroyed. This was a clear command from Christ sent to this church leader who refused to show hospitality to the servants of Christ. And the key to understanding his thinking is seen in the middle of the verse, who loves to be first among them. The reason Diotrephes rejected the apostolic authority over him was because he loved to be in the position of supreme authority over everybody else. He wanted to control the church, and so he exalted himself over everybody else. He was greedy for power and prominence, so much so that he would actually oppose God's clear teaching and directives to the church. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.18 that Christ is the head of the body, the church, that he himself has come to have first place in everything. So Jesus doesn't share his glory with a man. Only Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He places shepherds as leaders in local churches to teach the word, But they're only under shepherds. They're servants watching over the flock as fellow servants. They're not to be dictators. They're only servants. Whether Diotrephes was an elder at this church, a deacon, or just a lay leader, we're not told. But he was a man who sought glory and power for himself. It was all about his pride. And sinful pride always exalts self and rejects authority. Pride was that sin behind Satan's rebellion against God. He wanted to usurp the Lord's authority over him and exalt himself. I will be like the Most High. And when Eve was tempted by Satan, what did he use to entice her? If you eat, you'll be more like God. You'll know good and evil. Remember Moses' siblings, Miriam and Aaron? They were jealous of all that God had entrusted to Moses, so they were lifted up with pride, and they tried to exalt themselves. And on and on and on go the examples in Scripture. Uh, And we have countless modern-day examples of the same men doing the same thing, men and women. Not only is this the mindset of many individuals in churches today, but that same spirit exists in many of us. If you have a mind to promote yourself, or do you resist authority of others over you and think that you are your ultimate own authority? Do you feel like you have to control other people, that they must follow your advice, And if they don't, you get annoyed with them. Then the spirit of diatrophies lives on in you. Be careful not to view this particular individual with such great contempt that you don't recognize if you struggle. Well, maybe the problem is if you don't struggle (laughs) with the same traits in your own heart. His sinful behavior must not be ignored, according to John verse 10. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he, is, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. So John is going to deal with this situation when, not if, 
when he comes to visit the church. John was planning to confront Diotrephes publicly and expose him and his sin to the congregation. When there is someone like this in a public venue at the church, they must be confronted, and if there is no repentance, they must be publicly exposed for this sin. Yet how many churches are dominated by power-hungry individuals, and they are allowed to continue with this sinful behavior and attitude. Some churches are just afraid of the fallout should they address such a person, especially if it's one with a lot of money. Others just tolerate it and think, you know, well, we're just loving him anyways. But that's the opposite of love. To confront somebody is to show that you love them. You love them enough to let them know about their sin struggle and praying that they would repent. So what did Diotrephes do? Well, he verbally attacked John. He slandered him. In seeking to exalt himself as his own authority uh, over the recognized authority of John, he decided to attack verbally the apostle John, discredit him. Don't listen to him. He's a loser. He wanted to destroy John's credibility. So he also refused to do what John told him to do regarding hospitality to the traveling missionaries. And apparently he saw these individuals that came as a threat to his power and control over the people. So he refused to open his home. But it wasn't just him. He kicked people out of the church if they wanted to be hospitable, as the apostle John had commanded. And as Gaius was clearly doing, by example. He prevented others from obeying the word of God as he uh, forbid people, as I said, to be hospitable. He has such a mindset of being in total control that if they didn't follow what he said, he just had to get rid of them. So perhaps this is why John wrote this letter to Gaius, who you know faced the wrath of this man who was in the same church. Ladies, we have to guard our hearts from this self-promoting behavior. It's wrong for any of us to try to control others. And I'm talking about you if you're married, controlling your husband, controlling your children. You know it is nothing but sinful pride because how often we think we know what's best for everybody else if they would only do what we tell them to do. We're, though, to submit to the authority God has placed in our lives. And if you're married, God has commanded that you be submissive to your husband, that children obey their parents, that employees follow their bosses, that citizens listen to their government, that church members follow their spiritual leaders. I suspect that most of you have had an experience of seeing individuals like diatrophies and some experience in your life or church life. What a great disservice is done to the church by letting them continue as spiritual bullies. Christ alone is the head of the church. In his word, the Bible is our absolute authority. So now John closes out his brief letter by contrasting Diotrephes with a wonderful example of Demetrius. We read, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, which I think I'm talking about Diotrephes here, but what is good, Demetrius. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So here we have an example of a man that could be looked up and admired at this church. If you know Christ, then you should be the person that people look up to, to follow your good example. John used Demetrius to show us what to look for in an example to follow. The truth is, each of us is already an example. I mean, it's a good one or a bad one. Uh, we are modeling to somebody else 
by our behavior. But what kind of an example we are is really the key. John tells Gaius to imitate a God-honoring person rather than an evil person. The Greek word for imitate has the idea of following someone's course of action and copying it. So choose your models carefully. Never follow someone like Diotrephes. John seems to think or indicate here, it really doesn't seem like Diotrephes was truly a saved man when he was so utterly hostile to the truth. But those who follow the Bible and obey God's word are of God. Those who do evil have not seen God. They are not in a relationship with him. Their lives have never been transformed, which is what happens the moment we put our trust and confidence in Jesus alone as the only means to be forgiven for our sins. One can be quite sure that if John was so despised and slandered in this church, then certainly Gaius would have been as well. He was a godly man, but yet here he's exhorted, Gaius is exhorted, that's who the letter's to, to follow the godly example of Demetrius. So we are to imitate individuals that are godly and not imitate those who are contrary to, the God, to God and his words. So what kind of uh, people should Gaius imitate? Verse 12 tells us Demetrius was such a godly example to follow and everybody knew it. We don't know anything about this man either. This is the only time and place he's mentioned. But what a testimony he had from everyone who knew him. People who saw him regularly and knew him spoke so highly of him. Christ's character was reflected in how he lived. The truth actually uh, testified that he was an individual to follow. So Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So look for people in your own church fellowship and benefit from wonderful biographies of godly believers who have left, left us such examples to follow. I've, you know, I've cited so many, Elizabeth Prentice, Gladys Aylward, Elizabeth Elliot, I mean, on and Johnny Erickson Tata, on and on goes the list. And you read their stories, you read their biographies, and you will be encouraged. You will be strengthened. These are people to emulate as they followed Christ. So the takeaway from these last verses is that we are to follow and imitate the behavior of godly people. Not that they're our idol. It's just they're a living example and we're to follow as they follow Christ. The more important question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we living the Christian life in such a way that we are an example of obedience to others? Does your church family speak well of you? Would your spouse and children say, you demonstrate obedience to the word of God. If you lack in being an example to be followed, then it's time to make changes and not make excuses. So John closes the final verse by giving friends of Gaius their greeting while he greets his own friends at the church as well. I think it's wonderful that this aged apostle John had dear friends, and he's sending his greeting to friends as well. So I, I hope and I pray that the Lord will take this short little letter and... Do a work in our hearts to think about being a role model that's godly, to think about being available for hospitality. And it, there's not, that's a frequent that missionaries are passing through and need a home. You know, it happens on occasion. So I can only say, whatever local church you're a part of, let the office staff know, I have a home, it's available, someone's passing through, send them my way. That's a practical thing to do. And then just look around you. Look around you for all the people who are strangers to you. That's who you can have reach out in hospitality and share a meal with. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the practicality of your word. Thank you for this small book and what major truths are really here for us. 
I pray that you would guard each woman here, that our hearts would not be like that of Demetrius or the other bad guy <laughs> who, who loved to be first, who loved to be in control of everyone. Lord, I, I know we all fall into that mentality that we think our way is the best way and everyone should do what we say. I pray that we would be godly in our examples and how we live, that we would be someone that would be a role model to those around us. And for the moms here raising their little ones, and for those of us who have, have husbands that we are wives too, Lord, help us to be godly in our attitude, to be submissive, to be loving, to not try to control, to get our way because we want to be first I pray that you would use the truths from this small book to change our lives, that we would be women who are hospitable. In Jesus' name, amen. Diatrophies, that's the name. (laughs) 